How the Legacy Media Lost My Trust and the Trust of the American People. Quote, The gods are fallen and all safety gone. And there is one thing sure about the fall of gods. They do not fall a little. They crash and shatter or sink deeply into green muck. It is a tedious job to build them up again. They never quite shine. And the child's world is never quite whole again. It is an aching kind of growing. End quote. John Steinbeck, East of Eden. A few days ago, the most powerful, high-profile news media in the country were thoroughly humiliated by Jeff Gerth at the Columbia Journalism Review with a four-part series called The Press Versus the President. Fair-minded and stubbornly objective, this awards-worthy piece of investigative journalism begins the hard work of sifting through the past seven years to try to put Humpty Dumpty back together again. For some of the last remaining real journalists like Matt Taibbi, who risked nearly everything to stand up for the truth, there was some relief in a reputable outlet like the CJR, finally vindicating what he has been saying for years now, that the Russiagate story was a political ploy to target Trump that the media ran with. But it was also a lie. In one version of this story, the Columbia Journalism Review sends shockwaves through the mainstream news. The blue-check elders on Twitter confess their complicity and beg for forgiveness. In that version, they cared more about the truth and less about clout and survival. They cared more about fairness and less about winning. But the other version of the story is the right one. They said nothing at best. With David Korn's barbaric yop on Twitter the last gasp of delusion, pretending he did the right thing all along, misleading the public, falling for the scam. On the right, they were always way ahead of the story, doing what they always do, shouting from the rooftops with no one in the mainstream able to hear them. For instance, Hamilton 68, a story Taibbi broke by sifting through the Twitter files, was on Tucker Carlson four years ago. Weekly Standard founder and Twitter enthusiast Bill Crystal has helped launch a venture you've probably never heard of. It's called Hamilton 68, and it's designed, they claim, to combat Russian disinformation on Twitter. But it's having a bit of a hard time and seems to be spreading disinformation of its own. For example, Hamilton 68 was behind the claim that the release the memo campaign to expose FISA abuse by the FBI was just a Russian plot with no support from actual Americans. Glenn Greenwald has been covering this. He writes The Intercept. He's a critic of widespread hysteria on this question, and he joins us tonight. Glenn, I was, this is one of those many stories that fall through the cracks in a news environment like this, and that's why I'm grateful you uh, have been on this. What is Hamilton 68, and what has it done? So I wrote about it when it was formed not even a year ago, uh, last summer, because it was yet another example, probably the most vivid one yet, of this kind of union between Democrats on the one hand and neocons on the other. I guess I should say reunion, since neocons began as Democrats, migrated to Republicans and are now back with Democrats again. And it's essentially a group um, that was, as you said, started by people like Bill Kristol, people who um, have been leading neocons from both political parties, CIA officials, the people who 
basically have been disseminating disinformation throughout the entire war on terror, the least reliable, most warmongering people in Washington. And they said that their purpose of their group was to combat uh, disinformation and the attack on the American democracy by Russia and other groups. Um, and their main kind of feature was that they would have this dashboard called Hamilton 68 that purported to track the activity of Russian influencers on Twitter by tracking 600 accounts. Nobody knows which accounts they've designated as influencers of, uh, of Russia. Um, they're not necessarily Russian. They're just people who, in the eyes of Bill Crystal and his friends, are people who espouse Russia or pro-Russia themes. And they just constantly make claims about what Russia is doing on Twitter that the U.S. media, in the most shocking way, uncritically ingests and puts into their headlines as fact about what, what, what Russia is doing. So they're basically running their own propaganda campaign. The cover-up of January 6th, I can promise you, will eventually unfurl, just like the story of Russiagate, should any journalist in the mainstream ever grow a pair to tell it. And again, Tucker Carlson has never shown even the slightest bit of fear confronting that which everyone in the so-called establishment press studiously avoids. Two years ago today, a Capitol Hill police officer called Michael Byrd shot an unarmed woman in the neck. At the time of that killing, Byrd had a documented history of gross negligence with a firearm. He left a loaded Glock pistol in a public men's room at the Capitol, which for a law enforcement official is a firing offense. But for some reason, Michael Byrd was still in the force that day. The woman he killed was called Ashley Babbitt. Babbitt was a married 14-year veteran of the U.S. military. She ran a pool cleaning company with her husband in San Diego. Physically, she was tiny. She was also unarmed. Michael Byrd later admitted he had no indication at all that Babbitt was carrying a weapon. She posed no visible threat. He killed her anyway. Under normal circumstances, Byrd would have been fired immediately and charged with murder, which he clearly committed. But that's not what happened. After doing essentially no investigation into the shooting, Nancy Pelosi's congressional police force declared Byrd a national hero, and the media strongly agreed. Byrd went on television to accept accolades and to complain about racism. He was never punished for killing Ashley Babbitt. He was rewarded for it. Ashley Babbitt's mother, meanwhile, got a very different sort of treatment. Babbitt's mother was arrested today in Washington by the Capitol Police. Her crime? trying to hold a memorial service for her daughter. Two years later, it's clear that Ashley Babbitt is, her death is by far the most significant thing that happened at the U.S. Capitol building that day. But at the same time, it is the least talked about event of January 6th. Why is that? Well, because the facts about what actually happened on January 6th disrupt the lies, what they've told you happened on January 6th. And those lies have proven very useful to the Biden administration and to permanent Washington. On the basis of a wholly created myth about what happened that day, the Biden Pentagon conducted an unprecedented political purge of the entire U.S. military. The FBI and various intel agencies increased their control over the American media. And most obviously, the DOJ has been allowed to prosecute and jail hundreds of nonviolent political protesters whose crime was having the wrong opinions. Lies about January 6th, which have been released. How is it that I, a former blue check Democrat and loyal Hillary Clinton Joe Biden supporter, began watching Tucker Carlson in the first place? How is it that I can withstand the hysteria that arises from my friends and family, should I dare mention Carlson's name in their presence? 
Well, it all started with the truth. Mark Twain said a lie travels halfway around the world before the truth is putting its boots on. But he also said, if you tell the truth, you never have to remember anything. I have found that I care about the truth. I care enough to seek it out, no matter where it takes me. I first found Tucker Carlson in the summer of 2020. I had just learned the unbearable truth that journalists in the mainstream had gone completely silent on the protests erupting on the streets in nearly every city. But why were they ignoring the bizarre nightly rituals in Portland and Washington by mostly white kids, a kind of strange bacchanalia of social justice warriors, coming of age and feeling their newfound rapture? Why were they ignoring what was actually happening? Why was it such a brave act for Michael Tracy to cover the destruction of mostly minority-owned businesses? Why were there suddenly so many journalists being fired, canceled, and sent to exile on Substack? What was going on? And where could the truth be found? Well, I found it on the right. I did this out of desperation because of what had happened to the left. The first thing I found was Tucker Carlson not flinching even a little to report on what was actually happening on the streets. My side would call that racist to even report on it, to notice it, to care about it. If you were worried about the curfews, the broken glass, the theft, you did not care about the plight of black men at the hands of police. You did not care about systemic racism. You were a bad person, a racist. This Tucker Carlson video was the first major news outlet to talk about what was actually happening on the streets. My friends were sympathetic to the protesters, understanding their cumulative rage over decades of oppression and discrimination. But it was still the job of the press to tell the people the truth, not to gaslight them. This was a major red pill moment for many. For podcast listeners, we're looking at a picture of the cryon, fiery but mostly peaceful protests. Yes, it was the pivot away from the COVID hysteria to the systemic racism hysteria. But still, it was obvious to me they were covering up the truth. Why? Well, we would eventually find out why, but Tucker Carlson already knew. In this video, he doesn't spare anyone, not even Trump, not Nikki Haley or Mike Pence. That makes him unique on cable news. He goes after everyone. When the mobs came, they abandoned us. Good evening and welcome to Tucker Carlson tonight. The nation went up in flames this weekend. No one in charge stood up to save America. Our leaders dithered, they cowered, they openly sided with the destroyers. In many cases, they egged them on. Later, they will deny doing any of this. They are denying it now. But you know the truth because you saw it happen. This is how nations collapse. When no one in authority keeps order, and when so many in our professional class encourage violence, American citizens are forced to defend themselves. They have no choice. No one else is going to defend them. They know that now. It's possible that more people will be hurt in coming days. That would be a tragedy. But in an environment like this, more violence could very well lead to a cascade of new tragedies to something far bigger and more destructive than anything we have seen so far. So this isn't over, it might simply be the beginning. We pray it isn't. It's hard to think clearly about anything that's going on right now. The chaos, the destruction, the relentless lying from above, it's all too much. Americans are bewildered and they are afraid, but most of all, they are filled with rage, angrier than they have ever been. The worst people in our society have taken control. They did nothing to build this country. Now they are tearing it down. They are rushing us toward mass suicide. So how do we respond? We must protect ourselves and our families. Once again, we have no choice but to do that. 
but we cannot allow ourselves to become like they are. We are not animals. We are Americans. In the face of such indecency, we must resolve to be decent. We believe this country has a future. We intend for our children to live and thrive here. That is what we are defending. All our leaders do is set us against each other. They stage a never-ending national cockfight for their profit and amusement. But we're not going to play along. We will love our neighbors relentlessly in spite of all of it, not because they look like us or share our political views, but we love them because they are human beings and they are Americans. Those are the bonds that tie us together, the bonds our leaders seek to destroy. We can't let them. We should start by being unsparingly honest about what is happening right now. Truth is our defense, and it's our country's last hope. We plan to use tonight's hour to create a record of this moment right now to show you what's really going on in your country. We feel an obligation to do that before the facts are spun into propaganda by the liars or the images are pulled off the Internet forever, as many of them inevitably will be. We're going to begin tonight with where my family lives and has lived for 35 years in the northwest quadrant of Washington, D.C. This is called Mac Market. It's on MacArthur Boulevard, which is named after General MacArthur during the war. It's our neighborhood store. It's walking distance from my house. People meet there every morning for coffee. Kids come after school for candy. It's as close to a community gathering spot as we have. The market is run by the Kim family. The Kims are immigrants from Korea. They are revered in our neighborhood for their decency and their hard work. When they lost their son several years ago, the neighbors grieved for them. The Kims are not political. They've never hurt anyone. They only make things better. But last night, the mob came for their store. At 1 a.m. this morning, Mr. Kim was kneeling alone on the sidewalk trying to salvage what he has spent his life building. Scenes like this played out in hundreds of neighborhoods across this country, maybe yours. Carlson told his audience two years ago that the protests were encouraged and heightened and not stopped specifically to bring down Trump. He also told us that it was planned to help take Trump out of office, but that they would lie about it later. They didn't exactly lie so much as they bragged about it in Time magazine. But that is not what democracy looks like, nor is it what journalism looks like. That is what a coup looks like a well-funded, organized coup by the establishment to bring down a president they could not control and did not like. Our country forever changed after the summer of 2020, but our press and media were MIA, then and now. They went completely dark on all of it. Maybe that's because they know what fate awaits them for reporting the truth. They knew about the Tom Cotton essay at the New York Times that led to the resignation of Barry Weiss. They knew about the forced resignation of the editor at the Philadelphia Inquirer for the headline, Buildings Matter Too. They knew they could lose their jobs, their status, everything, for just speaking the truth. We watched the resignations, the firings, the cancellations, the accusations that were based on the idea that intent no longer mattered. We were living through yet another wave of mass hysteria in the wake of the Me Too movement, but we had no one, at least not on the left, who would tell that story? The debate over gender ideology and critical race theory has birthed a massive silent majority who are freaked out about what is happening to the nation's young. Everywhere they look, they see members of the glassy-eyed cult foisting their newfound zealotry on their kids. 
Those of us who have no problem with drag shows don't really understand why this has suddenly become the job of the Democrats or Hollywood to push it on our kids. It isn't just that. Desperate parents turn to the media for answers, and all they get back are the talking points of the Biden administration, the comply or we'll call you a bigot directive. In turn, this has birthed an entire industry of what they call heterodox writers and podcasters. Most of them are here on Substack. But all they, we, are doing is telling the truth the mainstream media is too afraid to tell. These writers made people like me feel sane. But many of them remain steadfast in their refusal to appear on Tucker Carlson's show or on the right, choosing to align themselves still with the cultural elite who have abandoned more than half the country. You know you can really trust someone if they appear on Carlson's show to get their message out, because you know they care about the many people who watch it. Matt Taibbi, Glenn Greenwald, Michael Schellenberger, Batia Ungar Sargon. If they don't, you know they're still playing the game of the left. They're just drawing the line in a different place, and they will get us nowhere. I don't always agree with Tucker Carlson. Sometimes his elbows are a little too sharp for me. But I'll take someone who is unafraid to tell the truth, sharp elbows and all, that whatever it is the media on the left has become, sensitivity readers, editors who are afraid of their own staff, new codes of what words can and can't be used. With Carlson, you know you're not getting bullshit. And believe it or not, that's the same thing Trump offers. He boasts and exaggerates, sometimes even outright lies. But overall... He's giving it to the people straight, and that's why they trust him and why they don't trust legacy media. The podcast listeners were looking at her ratings that shows Tucker Carlson with 3,340,000 trouncing the competition. It took me a long time to escape the feedback loop that was telling me only what I wanted to hear. The internet gives us the ability to curate our own reality so that we can pretend life is as we want it to be. But that leads to everything we've seen go down in the past seven years. Hysteria, madness, witch hunts, the erosion of trust in our institutions. All because the mainstream media narrative they control was threatened. Whatever story is at the top of the news, it's worth taking the time to scrutinize it. Your day should begin with real clear politics, which shows opposing headlines from each side. Then you can see who is pushing what idea and why. Megyn Kelly, Ben Shapiro, and Cheryl Atkinson are some of those voices I have come to trust over time, knowing I'm getting an honest take on what they really think. How we got here. As a devoted Hillary Clinton supporter, I too was caught up in the frenzy of 2016. I donated to Jill Stein's fund to find out whether the voting machines had been hacked by Russians. I bought it all, my friends, and believed I was battling Putin's army every day on Twitter. We all felt a great injustice had been done. How could Queen Hillary have been denied the Iron Throne? It was you, James Comey, and your press release that herded the undecideds towards Trump. It was you, Vladimir Putin, meddling in our elections so you could install your Russian asset. It was you, Bernie Sanders, for fracturing the party in two. And, most destructive of all, it was you, media. You obsessed on her emails for an entire year, and for what? Now it was the end of the world. Now it was Armageddon. Now it was Hitler himself in the White House. While all of these factors no doubt contributed to her loss, 
The truth was much simpler. The Hillary campaign screwed up. They turned down Facebook's offer to help them use Zuckerberg's shiny new toy that could target the exact right voters in the exact right places using the exact right advertising. Trump's campaign, having only one long-shot play, relied almost exclusively on Facebook. Hillary was eyeing Georgia, not Wisconsin. Had she allowed Facebook to help her drive voters from those key swing states, she might not have lost. She blamed everyone as our government set about undoing the results of that election through impeachment and sabotage, and the media lost our faith by chasing one lie after another to protect her and the Democrats. Worst of all, they believed then and still believe now that to confront the truth about Russiagate and the media is to give Trump an inch. And their job is to prevent him from ever holding office again. The truth must take a back seat. But it comes at an enormous cost. I ain't like that no more. I used to be the kind of person who watched Rachel Maddow every night. I thought Keith Oberman was brave and honest. I shared every headline from the New York Times, NBC News, and the Washington Post because they were legitimate outlets that had gained our respect and trust over time. I'm old enough to remember when there were three main sources of network news, CBS, NBC, and ABC. I remember when it was a major scandal that Jessica Savage slurred her speech for a second and ended her career overnight. This is NBC News Digest, sponsored by Sealy Posturepedic. Here is Jessica Savage, NBC News. Good evening. President Reagan and his cast was planned to visit the Philippines. The White House blamed the press of congressional business, but did not deny fear for the president's safety. The Supreme Court today left intact... I remember Dan Rather in the Killian documents. His career was destroyed because he was following a narrative he wanted to be true, and he got sloppy. Back then, the objective was to get the story, no matter where it led. Get the story, even if people hate you after. Get the story, even if you have to seduce and lie to a source. Get the story, because that is the only way to maintain the trust of the American public. I admired movies like Broadcast News because they were harbingers for what was to come. Manufacturing news to make the narrative you wanted was strictly forbidden, unethical, and frowned upon by filmmakers and members of the left. One of the best is Michael Mann's The Insider about the corporatization of CBS News' 60 Minutes. CBS corporate forces them to edit the segment to bury the story of the whistleblower saying cigarettes were designed to be addictive. He built the trust of his source with the promise the story would come out. When CBS tried to bury it under pressure, Pacino as Lowell Bergman becomes the whistleblower, destroying the credibility of 60 Minutes. This news division has been vilified in the New York Times, in print, on television, for caving the corporate The New York Times ran a blow-by-blow of what we talked about behind closed doors. You fucked us. No, you fucked you. Don't invert stuff. Big Tobacco tried to smear Wigand. You bought it. The Wall Street Journal here, not exactly a bastion of anti-capitalist sentiment, refutes Big Tobacco's smear campaign as the lowest form of character assassination. And now, even now, when every word of what Wigand has said on our show is printed, the entire deposition of his testimony in a court of law in the state of Mississippi, the cat totally out of the bag, you're still standing here debating. Don, what the hell else do you need? Mike, you tell me. The spine of all of these prophetic criticisms of the nation's news 
was that outside forces were corrupting their strong desire to tell the truth at any cost. Whether they did it out of fear or because they were good soldiers of the left, doing the bidding of the Democrats, or they were social justice warriors themselves and have decided objective reporting of the truth doesn't get them what they want, it all leads back to the same place. They have abandoned the American people, so the American people have abandoned them. They're not journalists anymore so much as social media influencers performing in an ongoing melodrama on Twitter. They're playing at being journalists now, echoes of their former glory, surfing on decades of credibility. But it's over for them. America has turned away to an astonishing degree. They know that by now they can't get any kind of truth from people like Nicole Wallace or Chris Hayes or even Jake Tapper. They always get the same thing every time, whatever talking points the Biden administration demands. Jeff Gerth's reporting stands, etched into the concrete wall that used to represent journalists who held the powerful to account. We want them on that wall. We need them on that wall. Son, we live in a world that has walls, and those walls have to be guarded by men with guns. Who's going to do it? You? You, Lieutenant Weinberg? I have a greater responsibility than you can possibly fathom. You weep for Santiago and you curse the Marines. You have that luxury. You have the luxury of not knowing what I know, that Santiago's death, while tragic, probably saved lives, and my existence, while grotesque and incomprehensible to you, saves lives. You don't want the truth because deep down in places you don't talk about at parties. You want me on that wall. You need me on that wall. We use words like honor, code, loyalty. We use these words as the backbone of a life spent defending something. You use them as a punchline. I have neither the time nor the inclination to explain myself to a man who rises and sleeps under the blanket of the very freedom that I provide and then questions the manner in which I provide it. I would rather you just said thank you and went on your way. Otherwise, I suggest you pick up a weapon and stand a post. Either way, I don't give a damn what you think you are entitled to. Did you order the code red? I did the job. Did you order the code red? You're goddamn right I did! Politicians are supposed to be afraid of journalists in every interview, at every press conference. But there is no difference between politicians and the media now, and the public has caught on to the game. For podcast listeners, we're looking at a poll from Gallup that shows the faith in the news media has cratered to an all-time catastrophic low. Recently, Boris Johnson visited the United States. Tucker Carlson invited him on his show, and at first Johnson accepted. But a few hours later, his publicist called and said Johnson would not be appearing. That, my friends, is fear. Every week, Matt Taibbi and Walter Kern sift through the current events of the day. They're funny. They're honest. They're always trying to find the answers, not demand we accept their version of events. Okay, Matt, this is going to be remembered as the Norma Desmond Sunset Boulevard moment for uh, (laughs) the prestige press in which they announced that, you know, in their humiliated state, having been shown to have gotten the biggest story of the decade wrong and been prey to phonies, con artists and political operatives, that it's not they who failed but it's the movies that got small. It's, mm-hmm. it's, 
it, it's the truth itself that failed. That's the so truth, funny, yeah. you know, uh, yeah, we didn't tell it, but it's not really worth telling anymore. <laughs> we we've moved to a new standard, conveniently uh, con- conveniently uh, appropriate to our past failures, which we can now retrospectively look at as perverse successes because we what we were actually doing they'll maybe say five years from now is stepping off that old truth platform toward the higher hegelian uh you know uh standard of whatever is non-objectivity what okay so you abandon objectivity but you don't want to own subjectivity. So what is that third thing that they're embracing now? Or are they just saying, it's what the news is what we say it is, suckers. <laughs> just deal with it. Their conversation about the CJR is one for the ages. Theirs is the antidote to what has become of the once mighty American media, whose sounds of silence now, in the wake of this story, are deafening. Thanks for listening to my Substack, sashastone.substack.com, and remember, to thine own self be true. Because a vision softly creeping left its seeds while I was sleeping, and the vision that was planted in my brain still remains. Within the sound of silence In restless dreams I walked alone Now the streets of cobblestone Beneath the halo of a street lamp I turned my collar to the cold and damp When my eyes were stabbed By the flash of a neon light the sound of silence And in the naked light I saw Ten thousand people, maybe more People talking without speaking People hearing without listening People writing songs That voices never share Said I, you do not know. Silence like a cancer grows. Hear my words that I might teach you. Take my arms that I might reach you. But my words like silent.